It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another Soul of America radio broadcast. Tonight's episode is Let's Straighten It Out, starring Dr. Bo, also known as Big Easy. Big Easy helps you work out and foster healthy relationships. Tonight's show is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio and hosted and produced by the Soul of America radio. And now, without any ado, we take you directly to Let's Straighten It Out with Dr. Bo. Martin Brokenleg, who is one of the, a member of the 
uh, Rosebud Sioux Tribe, which is a part of the Lakota Nation. About five years ago, I had the privilege of uh, going to a workshop that was facilitated by Dr. Broken Leg on this Circle of Courage philosophy, and it was just really amazing to see the benefit of this approach to dealing with at-risk youth and how much more effective it is than some of our more traditional punitive approaches of dealing with at-risk youth. And so we want to do this in two parts. One, I want to take a few minutes to kind of look at some real general things about uh, this whole issue of juvenile delinquency. I don't want to get too deeply in that. That might be the topic for another show that we'll focus a little bit more. But I want to use this primarily as a comparison of different approaches of looking at youth because our philosophy about our children and about child rearing and about rules and regulations has a lot to do with how we see youth that are having difficulties, particularly those that are exhibiting problem behavior. And we tend to look at that more as a negative, and that's because a lot of us, particularly us baby boomers, uh, were raised in an environment where behavior was dealt with in a punitive manner. Attempts to correct behavior was more punitive. And so we want to look at there are some other ways to address delinquent behavior. And I want to make sure that it's clear that I recognize clearly that there are some children whose behavior is so far gone that you have to take some more drastic measures. But my hope from sharing this information with you tonight is to encourage you to be more proactive in addressing issues with children and trying to catch them before they get out of control. And so we want to do the first part of this is going to be a little quickie overview about some thoughts about juvenile delinquency and some of the theories about it, some of the risk factors. And then I want to share with you a little essay that I thought was very profound and thought-provoking. Um, and as we discuss these topics tonight, what I ultimately want to show is there's a lot of similarities between some of these philosophies and practices of the Native Americans and um, certain segments of the African-American population. I'm thinking more about the environment that I grew up in and the culture and practices of a lot of African-Americans back in the 50s and 60s uh, when some of us were children. You had a little bit different sense of community. And so as we look at the circle of courage philosophy, uh, you'll hopefully see some of the similarities between the uh, Native American culture and philosophy and some of what uh, some of us baby boomers might have experienced uh, as we were growing up. When you think about juvenile delinquency, this is basically youth that fail, <clears throat> fail to follow the law. Uh, they get into things like the delinquent acts such as substance abuse, crime, truancy, uh, dropping out of school, acts of violence, teen pregnancy, and such. Uh, most often, these delinquent youth have poor relationships with family peers and teachers and other authority figures. They ironically sometimes have ironically positive relationships with some of their delinquent peers, but these delinquent peers aren't likely to uh, reinforce positive behavior. 
And unfortunately, most of the statistics show uh, that minorities and lower class, lower socioeconomic class juveniles, um, those from broken homes, are much more likely to uh, commit delinquent acts, at least based on statistics and research. Uh, there are several theories about what causes uh, juvenile delinquency or delinquent behavior, and I don't want to get into all of them. The main two I want to look at tonight for the benefit of our topic uh, or social, what the sociologists uh, and such call social learning theory and social disorganization theory. And social learning theory is the old basic, um, some of you might remember Pavlov and uh, the dog and uh, Abbott Bandura is one of the well-known pioneers in uh, social development theories. But this theory is that juveniles engage in crime or delinquent behavior um, the same way that we um, do other behaviors, through modeling. They practice what they see. Uh, people around them are modeling negative delinquent behavior, so they are doing what they see around them. Uh, so oftentimes uh, these youth see this type of behavior in their family and peer groups, um, and the family and peer group become the most powerful model for them and teach them how they should interact in their world or in their environment, which oftentimes is not in line with following the law and following rules. And so as you look at the environment that a lot of these youth grow up in, you know, they see a lot of delinquent, illegal, criminal activity, and that becomes, quote-unquote, normal for them or is acceptable. Um, so if you think about reinforcement, that's how we develop habits. And if you commit criminal activity or illegal activity and there's no punishment or there's inconsistent punishment or consequences, then that tends to reinforce it. And you might think about situations where when someone finally gets caught and arrested for committing an illegal act, they oftentimes have done that for an extended period of time without getting caught or without consistent consequences. So through social learning theory or the development of habits and habituation is one of the um, processes that takes place in social learning theory, which is where we get the word habit or the term habits from. If you do something repeatedly long enough, it becomes a habit. So this is learned behavior uh, based on the environment that these youth grow up in. The social disorganization theory basically says that part of the problem is failure of our social institutions and social organizations like schools, churches, uh, law enforcement, and communities, um, their failure to induce positive law-abiding behavior, that there's a breakdown in the institutional system, uh, that crime and delinquent behavior is caused by social factors. So on the one hand, you have these the environmental factors of um, modeling and social learning theory, and on the other hand, you have the belief that a lot of it is a failure of the primary institutions to do their job. Uh, so there are some components of our society that 
or a little unstable in this instability, particularly in lower socioeconomic classes where oftentimes people are basically focused on survival. And sometimes survival might mean doing things that are illegal in order to survive. And you see this a lot of times in um, what has become known as the ghetto or some of our uh, lower socioeconomic areas. People are very opportunistic. There's a lot of chaos and disorganization going on in their lives, and they do what it takes to get along. You see people doing things that are, you know are illegal, but you do it anyway because that's what you do uh, in order to survive. So those are the two theories we want to look at is what's the influence of the family and the environment that we grow up in and some of this uh, delinquent behavior. So there are basically four risk factors um, that we want to look at um, in regards to delinquent behavior, and that's individual risk factors, family risk factors, uh, if there's a history of mental illness or mental health issues in the family, uh, that increases risk. And if there's a history of substance abuse, uh, that increases the risk or likelihood of a child becoming delinquent or exhibiting uh, delinquent behavior. Oftentimes, children that have lower intelligence or who have poor self-esteem they don't receive the proper education, and part of this, I think, is our education system, and that's a whole nother show that we'll do. Um, if a child does not feel competent to succeed in class, oftentimes that will contribute to delinquent conduct. Um, if they have impulsive behavior, uncontrolled aggression, or they don't have the ability to delay gratification, they want what they want right now, uh, very impulsive people, um, a lot of times these individuals have increased risk of um, committing delinquent acts because they don't have that internal self-control. And if there's no external control, then their behavior gets out of control because they're very reactive and impulsive and don't stop and think about the consequences of their behavior um, before they do it. Some of the family risk factors that we want to consider um, is that oftentimes the children don't have adequate parental supervision. You have a lot of these latchkey kids that are basically raising themselves. You have uh, teen pregnancy where you have children raising children. Uh, there's a lot of parental conflict, uh, domestic violence, for example, going on in this environment. There might be a history of neglect than abuse, either physical, emotional, or psychological abuse. Uh, if you have parents that demonstrate um, a lack of respect for the law and social norms where they are modeling negative, illegal, inappropriate behavior for their children, which gets back to uh, the social learning theory, um, oftentimes these children uh, don't have proper attachments to their family. And that could be influenced by a lot of different factors. Uh, oftentimes, for example, when you have a single-parent family where typically it's the mother and she's having to work and uh, raise kids and do everything, she realistically doesn't have the time to spend with the child to adequately parent the child. And oftentimes the child has to grow up fast and even contribute to 
uh, some of the household maintenance. So if you have the inadequate parenting, uh, that not it's not necessarily at the fault of the parent. It just might be due to their circumstances and their environment uh, that can contribute uh, to risk factors. If there's a family history uh, of mental illness or if the child has uh, mental or emotional health issues, uh, that also increases the risk of them getting into uh, delinquent activities. And that's not at any fault of their own. People don't choose to have mental health problems. That's something that is sometimes unavoidable because of their circumstances. And the fourth one that we want to look at, and then we'll take a little break after this, is the increased risk factors when there is a history of substance abuse, uh, whether it's alcohol or drugs or both. Um, juveniles um, in this day and age are using more powerful drugs than they did, say, 10 years ago, and a whole lot more powerful than they did when I was a child. Uh, and the other thing is that they're starting a lot younger. You have kids in elementary school that are using illegal drugs or they're misusing legal drugs. You have a lot of these kids that are on a prescription drugs that might be for ADHD or for other illnesses, and you have some of these prescription drugs that are very popular on the street, and sometimes you have elementary school kids abusing these drugs, or you have uh, kids selling prescription drugs to uh, to do other things. So these are the risk factors that we want to uh, look at that contributes to juvenile delinquency. And the point I want to make tonight is that even in cases where you have children that have been victim to these or exposed to these different risk factors, whether it's one or several, and they have increased risk of developing delinquent behavior, there are some things that can be done. There's hope out there of dealing with them differently, not so much in a punitive manner, but there's another way of looking at how do we deal with these youth, especially if you consider that it's beyond their control. They didn't choose the family and environment that they grew up in, and sometimes it's just unfortunate that they have these risk factors. But uh, we're going to take a short break, and then we'll come back in a minute and uh, follow up with a more positive approach of how we can deal with that. So stay tuned, and we'll be back shortly. You're listening to Dr. Bo Worldwide on Let's Straighten It Out right here on the Soul of America Radio. Give Dr. Bo a call right now at 323-784-9638. That's 323-784-9638 right here on the Soul of America Radio. This is a very important message from the Soul of America Radio. Please pardon our progress. We're making major changes in our programming and programming lineup at this time, and please ask for your patience as we do so. The Soul of America Radio isn't going anywhere. We're just making progress at this time. Thank you, and continue enjoying the rest of Let's Train It Out with Dr. Bo. 
now worldwide. Let's return to Let's Straighten It Out. Give Dr. Bo a call at 323-784-9638 and press 1 when you want to speak to Dr. Bo. That number is 323-784-9638. Press 1 to speak to Dr. Bo and don't you forget it. And now, here's Dr. Bo in Let's Straighten It Out. Okay, folks, welcome back. Um, our topic tonight is on Circle of Courage, a new lease on life for at-risk youth. And we're going to be sharing some ideas about a different approach to looking at delinquent youth and dealing with delinquent youth. So the first segment we looked at some thoughts about uh, juvenile delinquency and some of the risk factors involved. And to make a transition I won't take the time to read this because it's way too long, but I will post it on the Soul of America radio website and on my Facebook page after the show. But it's an essay that's entitled An Indian Father's Plea, and it tells the story about this Indian father um, and the experience he had with his five-year-old son uh, having a very difficult time adjusting in kindergarten and he was labeled a slow learner and the gist of the story is that this was a Native American child um, who had a lot more if you looked at it from a cultural perspective he was a lot more intelligent uh, skilled and was way ahead of most of his peers but because of the cultural differences and the difficulty that caused in him learning um, in a traditional uh, setting, he was mislabeled as being slow, and a lot of his behavior was misinterpreted. But in this essay, the father goes into detail to explain what this child had learned from growing up in a Native American culture, and in his own culture, he would have been revered, you know, revered because of the talents and skills that he had, but in a traditional um, culture, he was considered slow. And a lot of our minority youth have that same problem, is that they don't fit into the mainstream, and oftentimes these children that are delinquent and creating conduct problems or behavior problems are very bright, or they have certain skills and talents. Uh, they are very resilient. They or able to survive on the street sometimes more effectively than some of us educated adults would be. So a lot of it depends on what lens you look at it through and how do you appreciate the world of people that are different than you. So a lot of our minority youth are mislabeled, uh, particularly our male, young African-American male and minority males oftentimes are given labels because of their behavior, and I think sometimes they're um, it's unfair because they oftentimes aren't given the opportunity to show that there's more than one side of them. So I want to shift gears now and look at some of the philosophy that's the basis of the Circle of Courage philosophy of dealing with at-risk youth and I want to draw some of the parallels between the Native American culture 
and some aspects of the African American culture or other uh, minority cultures, and hopefully to show that there's strength in all cultures. And I will also share with you a little bit later links to uh, get more information about the Circle of Courage philosophy, about some of the work with uh, Dr. Broken Leg, particularly with the Reclaiming Youth International, it's a very successful program uh, dealing with at-risk youth. So we want to look at the basic, basic premises of the Circle of Courage and to look at how can we transfer this to how we deal with our youth. And so as I mentioned earlier, a lot of this, uh, you would have, if you saw the movie Dances with Wolves, then you would have seen some of the Lakota uh, nation culture. Um, and one of the things that Dr. Broken Leg points out is looking at the spiritual dimensions of um, contemporary youth problems and to look at some strategies to connect with young people. And one of the things that he looks at is what he called the seven commandments of the pipe. And this is more of a spiritual aspect, not religious, but spiritual, which is very prevalent in Native American culture, uh, in uh, African culture, and other uh, ethnic cultures. There's a lot of spirituality or value in the spiritual realm. And so we want to make sure that we don't confuse this with religion, but we're looking at more of a spiritual issue. And what Dr. Brokenleg discussed at this workshop that I attended was what he called the seven commandments of the pipes or the goals that they pursued in their day-to-day -day life. Now, I will probably murder some of these uh, Indian uh, terms, but I will get close. The first one he talks about is what he calls Wakoni or life, and it talks about survival. And we have this basic innate um, urge for survival. The other one that he calls Wikozani is heartful healthfulness or wholeness in all aspects of our life. And then he talks about Wikawakeji, which is a maturation or moving ahead. Another way of looking at that is growing and developing. Uh, Wawala talks about humility, and he talks about this is to know your place, to think not too much and not too little of yourself, to have a balanced view of yourself. Um, and they have a cultural belief of don't take more than what you need, you know, don't be greedy, um, to think about others uh, ahead of yourself, but to have more of a balanced approach in life. Uh, the next one is Iglunina, which talks about self-respect. And if you don't respect yourself, uh, it's going to be difficult for you to uh, respect others. The other one he talks about is Wailsila, which is uh, compassion, and it's just a deep sensitivity to life, both for your own life and for others. And unfortunately, that's something that we see a lot in our youth of today and in some adults as well is a lot of the violent crimes that we see is due to a disrespect of life and it's very um, heartbreaking to be talking to a 14, 15 year old youth and this child to look you in your face and to feel that he's not going to live past 16 so why should he care about you or anybody else and he doesn't 
care about himself. So we want to think about this sense of compassion for others. And the last um, item here is talks about, it's called Waki Kanzi, which talks about vows and order. Basically, do what you say you will do. Uh, be a man of your word. Um, so these are some basic principles that if you look at the Lakota Nation and other cultures have similar values, you're talking about survival, wholeness in all aspects of your life, looking at moving ahead and developing, having some hope for the future, uh, to know your place, to have a balanced view or a sense of humility, of humility about yourself, to don't take more than you need, to have self-respect as well as compassion for others, and to be to have the integrity to do what you say you're going to do. And so in the book, Reclaiming Youth at Risk, uh, Dr. Broken Leg and the two other authors who are Larry Brentro and Steve Van Brocken, uh, they talk about um, model of youth empowerment, and that's what the circle of courage is. It's empowerment. You're looking at the strengths um, in people. And I often say in working with people that even a broken clock is right twice a day, so we want to try to find what's good about people. It's very easy to identify the negative and to look at the problems that people have or present. But what about turning that around and looking at what's right about people? And so this circle of courage model is based on uh, contemporary developmental research. It also looks at the heritage of early youth pioneers and uh, the Native American philosophies of child care. And it encompasses four basic or core values, and those values are belonging, mastery, independence, and generosity. And we'll go into each one of these a little bit more in detail uh, as we look. But a lot of the work that anthropologists have done about the Native American culture points out that Native Americans rear courageous and respectful children without aversive control or without punitive measures. And it was based on these four core values of belonging, mastery, independence, and generosity. And it's proven through their um, legacy that they can uh, rear uh, very productive children um, without punishment. And I'm sure that there were probably instances where there was some uh, punitive consequences, but in general, based on the studies of anthropologists, um, that was not the case. Uh, they didn't necessarily use aversive control or punishment to raise their children. And then over the course of history, um, as Native Americans were exposed to more of a European approach um, where it was much more punitive um, a lot of times the people were unaware of the sophisticated philosophy of empowerment that the Native Americans uh, practiced. And it's just like back in the days, uh, pre-slavery and early slavery days, when people were brought over here from Africa, they were seen as primitive natives, um, as heathens, for lack of a better word, without realizing how sophisticated some of the 
cultures were, and a lot of people forget that Egypt is actually in Africa. But you think about some of the Egyptian culture, if you look at some of the African nations, Ethiopia and some of the uh, cultures in Africa, there were nations that were extremely organized and successful based on their values and principles. But when you bring them into a European uh, philosophy and environment, then it's different. And so this circle of courage philosophy is an empowering, positive approach to dealing with at-risk youth. And how do we do that? One, it's going to take us looking at things differently. There's a lot of the work that you'll see in this uh, book, uh, Reclaiming Youth at Risk, has been reinforced and validated by uh, contemporary research and um, there's a gentleman by the name of Stanley Coppersmith or Coopersmith uh, that has done a lot of work on self-esteem and the similarity between the basic values of circle of courage, belonging, mastery, independence, and generosity with some of the work by Dr. Coopersmith, uh, his four um, things that he says that's essential for positive self-esteem is significance, competence, power, and virtue, which is very much in line with the circle of courage, our principles of belonging, mastery, independence, and generosity. And so as we look at working with at-risk youth, how can we change our view of these children and how can we have a more empowering, positive, proactive approach to dealing with them I think the key is going to be to get back to basics. Um, I think about the environment that I grew up in, and it had its faults, and my parents and other people had their faults, but there was more of a sense of community. The neighborhood that you grew up in, you had families that shared, that lived together. I think about you know people that I grew up with. We were at their house all the time, or they were at our house, and you have to be at their house, and it was time to eat, you sat down at the table and you ate with them. If you messed up, you you didn't have to wait till you get home to get your punishment. Their parents had the right or the authority and the blessings of your parents to make you act right. And so when you think about this first principle of belonging in the Native American culture, uh, this sense of significance was nurtured in the community. Um, and they celebrated this universal need to belong. And some of you might be familiar with the hierarchy of needs with Abraham Maslow. Uh, one of the core values in that hierarchy of needs is this sense of belonging. And we all have that need. Um, and so one of the ways that this is played out in the Native American culture is that um, one of the anthropologists made this quote of be related somehow to everyone you know, to have that sense of connectedness. I know that there are people that I grew up with that was uh, identified as an aunt, uncle, or cousin, and these people weren't blood relatives, but they had such a close relationship with the family that they were just like family, so you had this sense of kinship, this sense of community, and that was because of the way that people related to each other. And if you treat people as if they are kin, then you develop this sense of community that um, 
it's based on respect and it's based on a sense of being connected to these people. And if you look at the uh, Native American culture, it was not the nuclear family that carried out the legacy. It was their culture was survival. The survival of their culture was based on the tribe. Everything was more of a tribal uh, thing. The tribal culture um, provided the nourishment and it provided the legacy to carry on from one generation to the next. So the sense of belonging that we see with the Native American culture is similar to the sense of community that we see in uh, some aspects of the African-American culture, which was more prevalent back in the um, 50s and 60s. But it reminds me of this African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. So this sense of village or this tribal identity uh, was very powerful. And I think that if we look at some of our at-risk youth, Unfortunately, some of their sense of belonging is nurtured by gangs or other less than positive influences, and oftentimes these children are lost to their family because they feel this sense of belonging through some negative uh, resource as opposed to from their family. And so as we think about these at-risk youth, how can we provide avenues to nurture that sense of belonging in more positive ways and to reduce the risk of them seeking that through gangs and through other uh, negative components. Um, this next core value that we want to look at, which is the one of mastery, um, we all want to feel competent, and it goes back to the um, Maslow's hierarchy of need. And this, this sense of esteem, which we sometimes confuse that with self-esteem, but it's just a sense of empowerment, a sense of feeling competent and capable. Um, in the Native American culture, this was ensured through our guaranteed opportunities for mastery. Um, they started at an early age with their children, uh, and they taught them um, that you should look to other people with more experience as your models and to learn from them. And so a lot of the children learn how to do different things, whether it was weaving or hunting or making weapons or whatever the activity was. They learn through the model behavior of their elders and others that were more skilled at them. And one of the things that these children were taught was to see someone who had more skills as a model for learning and not as a rival. And that gets back to that sense of humility. Uh, so you want to see, how can I learn? Um, and they were encouraged to um, seek mastery for personal reasons, not to feel superior to somebody else or to feel that they were better than someone else, but uh, they want to have an internal sense of accomplishment, and you learn from observing others, and you saw them as an opportunity to grow and to learn, not to see them as your rival and to you know have conflicts that develop from there. And we all want to feel competent and to master our environment, 
and the more successful we are, then the more we want to achieve. Oftentimes you see with young children, I see that with my grandson. He is very competitive, and he doesn't like to lose. And if he is playing a game and he sees that he's not going to win, then he'll quit. And I, I laugh, but it's not really funny. I have to really work on trying to change his thinking. But um, we were playing some games on Wii, and he has, a little figure, he has two. One is for the games that he's good at, he uses one figure, and for the games that he's not good at, <laughs> then he uses another figure, or he wants to use somebody else's figure. Um, but what I noticed with him is that if he's losing, uh, and this was, he's just four years old, but if he's losing, he just turned the game off. But um, one of the things that we've tried to do with him is to teach him things and to develop skills where he can succeed and to develop that sense of self-esteem through mastering certain things. And he has mastered quite a bit, but we're still working on that uh, competitiveness that he has about him. But in the Native American culture, they worked so that their children were almost guaranteed to succeed, and they worked with them at their level and gradually increased uh, their level of confidence in a very uh, masterful way. So if a child has this sense of belonging and they have this sense of confidence that they are capable of doing things, then you have a much better chance of them um, not getting into uh, delinquent behavior. And so we want to take another short break, and then we're going to come back with the last two uh, core values of independence and generosity. And then we'll wrap that up with a couple of things, and then um, hopefully we'll have some callers. But if not, uh, hopefully you're getting some benefit from this, and we will take another short break, and we'll be back shortly. Your evening with Dr. Bo, and let's straighten it out right here on the Soul of America Radio. Don't go anywhere. Dr. Bo is coming right back. I'm Tony Stallings with the Soul of America Radio, and we'd like to thank you for your patience. That's right, patience during our construction. We are reconstructing SOAR for the best experience possible for you. I wouldn't have it any other way. Most of our programmings are no longer available as we are revamping everything. We aren't going nowhere. We're just getting better. Thank you for your continued support, as always. Love you in peace. Keep soaring. Give Dr. Bo a call at 323-784-9638 and press 1 to speak with Dr. Bo. This is the Soul of America Radio. And we now return you to Let's Straighten It Out with Dr. Bo, right here on the Soul of America Radio. Okay, welcome back, folks. Um, this is Dr. Bo, a.k.a. Big Easy. Tonight we're talking about the circle of courage philosophy and empowerment model 
of dealing with at-risk and delinquent youth. And we're just um, sharing with you some thoughts about this philosophy, which is based on the philosophy of the Lakota Indians out in the South Dakotas uh, and the book Reclaiming Youth at Risk that was written by Dr. Martin Brokenleg, who's a member of the Rosebud Sioux tribe, which is a part of the Lakota Nation, and the four core values of the Circle of Courage, which are belonging, mastery, independence, and generosity, and looking at how that lines up with the uh, work done by uh, Stanley Cooper Smith and working on self-esteem and his essential components for self-esteem or significance, competence, power, and virtue. Uh, before the break, we were looking at some of the similarities between the Native American culture and then uh, some aspects of the African American culture and some other um, cultures and drawing this parallel of empowerment and looking at how can we use this as a different model of dealing with our at-risk youth. And particularly if you're in the field of working and providing uh, psychological, social, or other services for at-risk youth, um, these, this is just an alternative way of looking at these youth, their behavior, and ways to cope with it and to reduce the risk and hopefully avoid them getting caught up in uh, delinquent behavior. So before the break, we talked about uh, belonging and mastery. And so now we want to look at the other two core values. The next one that we want to look at is independence. And in this um, value, uh, power is fostered by deep respect for each person's independence. Um, you want to be a part of the tribe or the community or the family or you want to belong, but you want to have this sense of independence, which is a little different for interdependence. The two kind of go hand in hand. So um, in our culture, there's oftentimes a lot of focus on discipline or even punishment to get a child to behave. In contrast to that, in the Native American culture, um, they teach their children uh, to be respectful and to develop an internal discipline or an internal self-control. And from early childhood, um, the Native American children are encouraged to make decisions. They are taught problem-solving skills through modeling, and they're provided activities to help them to learn to make decisions and to solve problems without depending on someone else to do it for them uh, and to show a sense of personal responsibility. If you think about it in our society, oftentimes we don't encourage or allow our children to make decisions. We are very punitive. We are very directive and tell them when, what, and how to do it and very rigid sometimes. And then we're surprised when they go out into the real world and they don't know how to make decisions because they've never had to practice, sometimes they end up making a lot of bad decisions because they haven't had to practice growing up to make decisions and to learn consequences and to learn how to solve problems and to be more responsible. So 
there are some aspects of our society that doesn't empower the child to learn to make decisions and solve problems. We're very paternalistic and controlling, and we tell children what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And that's true in our education system. Uh, unfortunately, some of our environment in education uh, put so much focus on making grades, we don't care so much about how much the child actually learns. And I've seen children um, with my kids' classmate. I've seen this when I you know, was teaching. Uh, there were a lot of people, they just wanted to make an A. Didn't matter that they weren't learning anything, and you know they, you know, crammed to make an A on an exam, and then 24 hours later, you know, they took it again. They couldn't remember half the stuff that was on there because uh, they hadn't developed this sense of uh, problem solving and decision making and this uh, internal um, discipline that you see with some of the Native American children. And again, in this culture, the adults modeled, nurtured, and taught these values, and they gave constant feedback, and uh, there was more of a training that child by example, and they were given a lot of opportunities to make choices without feeling forced and without having to worry so much about the consequences. So if you have an environment where these children are taught to be independent, then they are going to be less at risk of being influenced by peer pressure. And that's why some children are so susceptible to peer pressure because they are accustomed to some authority figure or someone telling them when, what, and how to do it, and so they are going to be reluctant or they don't have enough self-esteem um, to make the decisions to be different. And most youth, particularly adolescents, uh, but even starting with kids in uh, middle school or elementary school, they want to be like their peers. They don't want to be different. They want to be liked. They want to be accepted, which gets back to their sense of belonging. And sometimes they're not going to be willing to make an independent decision to be different because it makes them stand out from their peers and sometimes causes them to be subject to bullying or other negative consequences. But in the Native American culture, these children are taught from early childhood to be independent, to make decisions, to learn to uh, solve problems and to show uh, personal responsibility. And a lot of this is from observing the adults around them, modeling and nurturing that type of behavior and teaching them these skills. And the essay that I referenced earlier in the, an Indian Father's Plea, if you go and read that, it goes into detail about the skills that this five-year-old had, the number of animals and plants that he could name, the survival skills um, that he had learned, that he had learned uh, math, you know, through um, some native games and ways that they did it, which was different from your basic classroom. But um, the gist of that essay is that if you put this kid in his environment, then he was way advanced compared to other five-year-olds and in some instances knew more uh, than this college-educated teacher. So it was all a matter of perception and being culturally sensitive to look at the environment. So with this sense of independence, it goes back to the earlier sense of belonging 
and the focus on the village or the tribe. And what it brings to mind to me is this whole idea of synergy where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. That, And if you think about that uh, spiritual value that we talked about earlier about the uh, value of humility and to know your place, to not think too much or too little of yourself, uh, that's where this whole idea of independence and interdependence or synergy comes in, where if you have a tribe of independent individuals, then that tribe is going to be stronger collectively because of the collective power of the independence that exhibits that exists amongst its parts. So that's very important with our youth is that we want them to be independent in a positive sense and particularly independent enough and to feel competent enough uh, that they don't satisfy this need for belonging by being involved in gangs or other negative activities, but that they have this sense of belonging, uh, mastery, and independence to where they can make good decisions even if it's not in line with their peers and they're going to be less at risk because they're willing to take a stand uh, to do what's right. This last uh, principle that we want to look at um, is the one of generosity. Um, And with this um, principle, uh, the Native American culture uh, had a core value in child rearing is to teach their children the importance of being generous and unselfish and to share. Um, One of the examples that was given was that uh, this mother said, when you come on something good, the first thing to do is share it with whoever you can find. That way the good spreads out where no telling where it will go. I think about growing up, we were were taught to share. Um, Some of our sharing was unhealthy. You got one Coke and five people sharing, and then you're passing the bottle around and uh, sharing Coke and whatever else is mixed with it. Um, you, I remember sometimes we would uh, go around and gather bottles up when you can go to the store and uh, redeem the bottles and you get enough to uh, buy you some stage planks or Johnny Cakes and <laughs> you share them with your peers. So there was a lot of sharing. I can remember um, this family that lived near us, we would get together and we would build these little go-karts and each of me and my two brothers would contribute parts of it and the other brothers would contribute parts and if we had one of those falling out days and we would disassemble it and we'd take our parts home and they'd take their parts home only to come back the next day and put it back together again. We did the same thing with bikes and we shared skates where we didn't have uh, but one pair of skates, and one brother would get one, and you scoot along on one skate, while the other one had the other one and scooted along. But there was a sense of sharing, and that was this principle of generosity that you see uh, with the Native American culture of teaching these children to be unselfish, and that in helping others, they develop this sense of worthiness. Uh, they develop, you know, this sense of power empowerment and that they can make a positive contribution um, to the environment, that they can be a positive contribution to their um, peer group and to their tribe. 
And so as we think about uh, the issue of dealing with these at-risk youth, we want to think about some of the risk factors that we shared earlier, but I want to really encourage you to uh, take advantage of the links that we'll put on later that will have some more information about the circle of courage and these four uh, core values of belonging, mastery, and independence and generosity. I'll also put the link on there for uh, the Indian Father's uh, plea that will give you a different um, way of looking at um, cultures and hopefully will encourage you to see the strength in all cultures. And then we'll have a follow-up show, maybe not next week, but sometime in the future. Uh, we'll follow up on some of this of looking at what are some things that we can do as a community uh, to develop an environment that will provide positive outlets for our children and to help them to be less at risk of some of these uh, things in the environment that make them more at risk to uh, become delinquent or to exhibit delinquent behavior. So hopefully this has been uh, informative, uh, will give you something to think about and that you'll follow up and to uh, look a little bit more in depth about uh, this whole idea of what is it that causes certain youth to uh, become delinquent or to exhibit delinquent behavior, what are some of the risk factors that we need to guard against, and then what are some things within your community that you might put into place, taking into account these principles of the circle of courage that will help to empower our youth to uh, fight some of these risk factors and to overcome uh, some of these risk factors. So, um, Again, we want you to think about this. I encourage you to uh, call in and to share your thoughts. I always encourage you to either call in during the show or uh, call in later and raise questions. Or if you have some thoughts about some particular programs that you want us to have, I'm always open to that. So thanks for joining in tonight. Hopefully it's been informative, and we want to encourage you to uh, tune in again next week. So as we end the show, this is Dr. Bo, a.k.a. Big Easy, and I will see you next week.
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.